This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. The Georgia legislature is meeting currently in special session to discuss the issue of reapportionment or redistricting, is a word you might hear on the news or see in the newspapers. My guest on the program today to help us understand what this is, why it happens, and what you as a citizen may be able to do and play a role in your own government is the political director of the Georgia ACLU, attorney Christopher Bruce. Chris, thanks for spending some time and helping us to deconstruct and understand this more. Thank you. Happy to be here and love the conversation, especially educating people on this priority topic. What role does an organization like the ACLU play with issues such as this uh, when the Georgia lawmakers are in special session? Well, the ACLU has made it a priority for us to always, always make sure that Georgians are able to exercise their constitutional sacred right to vote. And under our leadership of our executive director, Andrea Young, uh, she's made it a priority that anything that deals with your voting rights is going to be a focal point for us. So the ACLU of Georgia has done whatever it can to make sure that you have a transparent and standards pass in the redistricting process. We go in and we educate people uh, about the redistricting process, as well as legislators on what is fair, especially when it comes to African-Americans. They've typically been disenfranchised within the state we want to make sure that their voice is heard, especially in the Capitol. I don't want to oversimplify the topic, but I also want to make sure that our listeners understand what it is that we're talking about. So for them, the words that they hear are redistricting or reapportionment. Explain in layman's terms what that means. Well, every 10 years we have a census uh, that's in our constitution. And based off of the census, we change the numbers or the districts that people are represented by. So we know that Georgia has grown by more than 1 million people uh, within this past decade from 2009 to 2019. What we're trying to do now is really look at how the line should be drawn with different people and different interests in different areas. So again, your voice can be heard. Communities should be selecting um, their elected officials to take their uh, priorities down to the state capitol. That's what this is about. This is about the 180 state representatives and the 56 state senators that we have in the state of Georgia and who are they going to represent. So redistricting is simply redrawing the lines within it. Reapportionment really goes more in depth of how many people are going to be represented uh, by each senator or each representative. So that could go into, are you going to represent 75,000 people? Are you going to start representing 95,000 people? That's what the legislature is really looking for. Explain to us the connection between redistricting, reapportionment, and voter rights. There's a direct link between all of them. Remember, we live in a democracy. And in a democracy, it's everyone's voice counts, as well as uh, the majority pretty much rules. Well, in the state of Georgia, the configuration isn't really lining up exactly. So typically the party in power draws lines to benefit the party in power. This has been done by Democrats and Republicans. So it's not exactly an issue that you can say is partisan. It's an issue of people in power want to stay in power. Redistricting and reapportionment, when they are drawing these lines, they are drawing these lines to protect their own self-interest instead of protecting the interests of the people. And that's what's wrong. And you'll see that with things such as voting rights. You'll see that things such as healthcare. Healthcare is often the number one issue in the state of Georgia. 
Uh, and the reason why is because we have hospitals closing all the time, uh, not only in urban areas, but especially in rural areas. You have people driving hours just to get emergency care. Black women are dying at exponential rates, rates that you will only see in third world countries in our own state. That needs to be addressed, but it hasn't exactly been addressed at the Georgia Capitol. If you had the right redistricting and reapportionment lines, that issue would come up and it would be passed so we could actually address this uh, situation in the state of Georgia. That's why it's important to get involved in redistricting. So again, your voice will be heard. This is gonna sound like a very naive question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If the party in power draws lines to assure that they remain the party in power, why is there not a third entity that is nonpartisan and more objective involved in the redistricting and reapportionment process? Oh, I actually think that is a phenomenal question. And that's the question that all Georgia voters should be concerned about. This process does not benefit you if you're a Democrat or a Republican. This process really takes away the voice of all Georgians. And this is there's certain things that we shouldn't play with when it comes to politics. And your sacred right to vote should be like that. Uh, so when it comes down to the political parties drawing things to benefit themselves instead of the people, that's what people really need to be concerned about. So if a citizen is concerned about this, what can a citizen do to make sure his or her voice is heard and somehow has some sort of influence in this decision? The first thing you should do, no matter if it's redistricting or any other issue, is get to know your state representative and your state senator. And you may just say, well, I already know who my state senator and my state representative is. The real question is, though, that I come back with is, does your state senator or your state representative know you? And the only way that they will know you is if you go and talk to them. So that could be via email, phone calls, or going down to the Capitol and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I can tell you from my own experience, most of these legislators never hear from their own constituents, especially on critical issues like this. So you need to make sure that your legislator is on board of saying, we want fair and transparent maps in the state of Georgia. You can also target other people such as the rules chairman, the chair of the redistricting committee in the Senate and the chair of the redistricting committee in the House, as well as other legislators. While legislators control their own districts and represent them, they represent the entire state of Georgia. So you as a Georgian should be able to talk to any representative at any time. Uh, so that's how you get involved. Or you can join a great organization like the ACLU of Georgia. We often take people down to the Capitol and there are phenomenal other coalition partner organizations to get involved with. So there are several ways and levels that fits your schedule actually when it comes to your voice being heard down at the Capitol and within this process. Is any one form of communication more effective with our lawmakers than others? Do you pick up the phone and make a call? Do you send an email? Do you write a letter? Do those things actually go somewhere where someone is actually reading them, counting them, and then informing a lawmaker what his or her constituency may be saying about a particular issue? Yes, that's always a great question. And the best answer I can come up with is the best form of being impactful is also being consistent. It's not just one issue that you should be concerned with. You should be concerned with all issues that are happening within your, uh, within your community and within your area in the state of Georgia. So if you have to make a phone call, if you have to write a letter, seeing someone in person is always the most effective way, but during these COVID times, you should be safe. The thing that happens is saying, I don't wanna just come around once every two years or so and say, I think you should do this. You should be the steady drumbeat for your community. And that's not only just yourself personally, you should talk to your neighbors. You should talk to the other members of your community. Once you get them involved, 
have a conversation with your state representative or state senator. If you want to talk to them or you're having trouble getting in touch with them, contact me. I do this all the time and have meetings with them as well as meetings with people in the community to make sure your voice is being heard. How long is this process expected to take to redraw these lines so that voters know who their state house members are, who their state senators are, and whether or not there are any changes in, for example, how our congressional district lines are drawn? Let me tell you, I love these questions, okay? Because they are very educational within it. That is a great question because we don't know. That's the crazy part about it. Your governor has called a proclamation to declare that the Georgia General Assembly come back for reapportionment. They could have at least said, we are going to be in session from November 3rd, which is when session started, to November 10th, November 17th, after Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving, so people can adjust their schedules to come down there to be heard. Have they done that? No, which goes along with the process of being transparent and having standards within it. They need to pass an adjournment calendar to let people know when they're gonna be in session and when they're not gonna be in session. Today is Veterans Day, but they're still holding hearings down there at the Capitol. Uh, in fact, I'm about to go down there right now. So as far as the answer of how long are they gonna be in session, they probably do know. They just haven't told the people. And that's the problem. They need to be more, held more accountable to the people. Is any of this information published online anywhere where a voter can look and see, oh, well, yes, today is Veterans Day, so I may have the day off, but how do I see, other than having talked to you, that there are hearings that are happening that perhaps I could observe as a citizen or even participate in if I had known that I was going to be able to be there today? Yes, uh, you can go Google Georgia General Assembly. Once you Google that, it will take you to the General Assembly's website, and they post what hearings they have that day. So you'll have the date, the hearing, and the time, and the room number that you need to be in. Now, be very careful, because once you click on that stuff, you'll look at the agenda, and it'll say, at the chairman's discretion or anything else. So it's still a hiding the ball type of situation that happened. And that's why we have great advocates down at the Capitol every day looking out for your interests. But what those advocates need for is you being there as well. Christopher Bruce with the ACLU, is there anything else you wanted to add at this time, something that I might not have thought to ask you while we're together? You know, this is a continuation of what's been happening in the state of Georgia when it comes to voter suppression. So you had last year, earlier this year, Senate Bill 202, a voter suppression bill passed um, that has already impacted the municipal races in certain cities. Uh, you see less percentage of absentee ballots being counted in these areas, something that SB202 did address. And we told them, uh, if you pass this bill, not as many people are gonna be able to vote with absentee ballots. Redistricting is another way of taking away your voice. So if your voice isn't heard or you're drawn into a community that's not exactly one that represents your interests, again, that is suppressing your vote. That is suppressing your voice within itself. Georgia has a history of doing this. It comes to a point where we have to stop, look each other in the eye and say, we're better than this. And there is a standard of everyone being able to vote. And let's deal with the democracy that we were all promised. Christopher Bruce, political director with the Georgia ACLU, I appreciate you and thank you very much for your time today. Hey, thank you. November is National Adoption Month, a time when we call attention to the need for adopted families, especially for children and teens in the foster care system. Wellroot Family Services is Georgia's longest serving child welfare organization. Wellroot's been doing this work, forget this, 150 years. And joining us today is the CEO of Wellroot, Allison Ash. 
Allison, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to see you and to, to be with you here this morning. Congratulations on this milestone anniversary of service in our city. Share with our audience the Wellroot story because you haven't always been Wellroot Family Services, have you? That's right. We were established 150 years ago as the Decatur Orphanage. Um, we were established after the Civil War to take care of children who had been orphaned and had lost both of their parents. Uh, shortly after that, we became the United Methodist Children's Home. And now we are Wellroot Family Services. About three years ago, we sold the property that was the, the, the physical campus of the Children's Home. And at that time, our board of directors thought that um, moving forward with a new name, well-root, well-rooted and firmly planted, which is what we are looking for for children um, in the foster care system, um, would help us make that transition away from the property and into being fully a foster care adoption and family preservation organization. So talk to us a little bit more about some of the programs that Wellroot offers children and adoptive families. Sure. So we offer a large foster care program for children who, for whatever reason, can't be with their families um, at, 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 at any given time. Uh, we recruit, train, and support foster parents as they, they take on really the blessing of being able to welcome a child into their home and provide healing and hope for that child. We also do have an adoption arm. Um, it's always our goal for kids to be able to go back home to their parents when, whenever possible, but sometimes it turns out that the foster family is the better match for them, so we facilitate adoptions for those kids into their forever homes. We've also really learned that um, children thrive in their birth families, so we've launched a whole suite of programs to try to keep kids with their parents um, whenever possible. And what kind of support are you able to provide those families where the goal is to keep the child with mm -hmm. the birth parents? So nationally, 63% of kids that go into the foster care system go into the foster care system because of neglect. And often we as a community have come to think about kids in foster care as kids who've been really abused by their families, but sometimes it's just a matter of uh, the families not having the resources they need to, to be able to support their kids, whether it's a family working multiple jobs um, and then they're not, they're not there for their child or not having the, the, the funds to properly clothe their children in winter time. So we're really looking at building support systems around families so that they can keep their children with them. Um, just this year, um, at this really wonderful, pivotal anniversary for us, we have launched three new programs. Um, one works with birth mothers, um, moms who might be at risk of losing their children into care. So for us, that's teen moms um, who um, are living in poverty. And we walk alongside those moms and provide support services to them through the first three years of their child's life. We make sure that they have the clothing their child needs, the, the, the food that they need, um, the mom knows how to recognize developmental milestones and is getting the child the appropriate medical care they need. And really just walking alongside them and like, like our moms would have walked alongside us as we um, uh, had our first child. The second program is a program called um, Positive Parenting Program. And this is really a program that we wanna provide for parents out in the community. And it is a parenting curriculum for children who are having um, behavior issues. So another statistic that I want to share is that there is the state of Georgia spends around $15 million a year for kids that end up into the foster care system because of behavioral health issues. So if we can head those issues off early on by giving parents the tools they need, then those kids won't ultimately end up in, in care. So it's a it's a, both a parenting curriculum 
and a parent coaching program because our staff will actually coach parents on how to implement the curriculum when they're having issues um, in the family. And then finally, we're offering a full um, a therapy program called Functional Family Therapy to help families that are in crisis um, get out of crisis. Allison Ash, what are some of the misconceptions about the adoption process for children and teens who are in the foster care system? Well, I think one misconception, and this is an important one, is that, that a lot of people come to us wanting to foster to adopt. And that absolutely does happen. And that is absolutely something that we can facilitate. But we also need foster parents who are willing to, to, to have that child bless their life for just a short period of time. You know, sometimes it really is just a three month or a six month reset for the parents where they're addressing something in their life, but it's best for um, the, the child to go back home. So I, I'd really say that's probably one of the, the top misconceptions. Adoption is so, so important, but when we can um, find foster parents who are willing to, to partner with and be in communication with the birth families, that's always, um, always best for the child. You know, sometimes we hear stories from young people about their experiences in the system. How are you able at WellRoot to assure only the best possible outcomes for the young people that you guys are able to help? So we do um, have a pretty thorough recruiting process and vetting process to make sure that we have the best possible foster parents for our kids. Um, we, we train our foster parents. Um, we have a, a curriculum that we train parents in that helps them um, know how to navigate challenges. Um, our case managers walk um, beside the parents throughout the process are always available 24 seven to answer phone calls from foster parents. Um, so if they are having a challenge with a young person, they have someone they can call and, and can walk them through how to support that. We also partner with community agencies to provide services like respite so that if a foster parent um, does need a weekend break, um, we can um, have the child go to a respite family and care for them for a weekend. And we really, um, we really support our parents so that it becomes um, an, easy, an easy process for them and really not just an easy process, but a really kind of fulfilling and life-changing process to foster. For a family that seeks to foster not to adopt, what is the typical amount of time a foster child is with the family? You know, it really can range. Um, sometimes it's just a few weeks, sometimes it's months, and sometimes it really can be a, be a few years. But our goal, and especially now that we're launching our programs to, to support birth families and to make birth homes safer, is to, to get that, that time down and to really partner with both the, the foster family and the birth family um, and, and keep everybody in communication and keep the child connected to their birth family as much, much as possible through the process. What does it take to become a foster family? What are some of the basic requirements before a family even enters into your vetting process? So um, it's, it's adequate space in the home. You know, a child in foster care does need their own bedroom and need their own space. Um, it is uh, obviously having a clean background, but more than anything else, it's, 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 the, it's the love in the heart um, and the willingness to be a loving, caring adult in that child's life. Allison, what is the greatest need for a nonprofit like Wellroot Family Services? So we have many needs. I would say our biggest need right now is foster um, families for um, teens and for sibling groups. Um, I think a lot of times because people naturally think I'm going to foster in order to adopt, they, they, they come in with a, a preference for I, I want to foster a baby or one or a two-year-old. But man, there's something really remarkable about teens and preteens and all that they're learning about the world and the, the world of possibility before them and the impact a family could make if they were willing to, to foster a teen. So that, that's absolutely our biggest need right now is that families that are willing to, to step up and, and foster kids that are you know, 10 to 16, 17 years old. 
And then of course, like all um, nonprofits, it takes resources to do the work. Um, so we're really excited that Giving Tuesday is coming up um, and, and are hoping that leading into that day and on that day, people will consider giving to, to Wellroot Family Family Services. What is the most rewarding thing for you, Allison, about being able to do this work with Wellroot Family Services? Seeing someone feel loved, really, you know, whether it's feeling that sense of love in their foster family or um, we also, I, didn't, I failed to mention, we have a program, a residential program for kids that are aging out of foster care. And sometimes that real first connection they've made to a loving adult in their life is either with a volunteer in that program or a staff member in that program. And it's just transformational. That, that feeling of belonging and being loved makes all the difference for a young people, a young person and what they can achieve in life. And, and when you see that transformation happen, it makes, makes every bit of the work worthwhile. Something I meant to ask you a moment ago when we were talking about families considering fostering a child or a younger person or a teen, how long does it take from I raise my hand to placement? I, I don't have the exact number on the top of my head, but I believe it's around six months because it is a, it is a pretty, you know, it's an important vetting process to make sure that the home is the right home that can welcome in a child who's, who's really going through something um, pretty significant in their life to be separated from their family. So um, it, it is a, a bit of a process, but Wellroot walks um, with our foster parents through the process and makes sure they're supported through the, throughout the whole um, time from the time they first raise their hand to a child is placed in their home. And this may sound like an awkward question, but what consideration, if any, is given to race and ethnicity when placing a child in need with either a foster family or a potential forever family? Yeah, that is, that's an important question. We really, um, the, the foster care um, movement as a whole has really started to pay attention to um, how important it is for um, kids to if possible, stay with their own family. So we actually have a program at Wellroot called Kinship Care, where we will try to identify um, an aunt or a grandmother or someone else in the family um, who can um, support the child and still also be supported by the foster care system and all the case management and resources that come with that. Um, if we can't find kin for the child to live with, the child is, uh, we, we make every effort and we work with defects to make every effort to place the child um, in the community um, where, where, they, where, they, where they live, you know, so they can go to the same school, they can, they can have their same friend network um, and they, they can feel as um, normal as possible. I will say that that is another one of our great needs, though, um, Condis, is we do need um, families of color to uh, be willing to foster, because even though we try to make that match, um, we don't have um, uh, uh, we don't have a, a large enough pool of foster care parents to always make that happen. Allison, was there anything else that you wanted to share or something that I might not have thought to ask you during this time? I really just think I, we want people to understand the full continuum, that, that, we, that foster care is necessary, adoption is necessary. There are times that kids need to be taken from their home, um, either temporarily or permanently. But there's also, um, if we could wrap our arms and love around birth families in the same way that we do around foster families, I really think we could make a huge difference in the world because that's what kids want. They want they want their parents, but sometimes that's not possible. So we can be the loving adults in their lives, either through foster care or um, other um, ways of volunteering. I think I also would like to add that right after Thanksgiving and Giving Tuesday is Christmas. Um, we have a lot of kids that we care for this time of year at Wellroot. So 
Um, if people want to get involved in helping us um, with Christmas with our kids, that's always a way to plug in and get involved too, whether it's um, helping provide Christmas trees and Christmas wreaths for the teens in our um, residential program or gifts for our foster care kids or lots of ways to get involved. So I hope everyone will go to our website at wellroot.org and see if, see, if, see if they can find a way to plug in because we, we need all the help we can get. And we want to see the kids as happy as they can possibly be, right. especially this time of year. Allison Ash, CEO of Wellroot Family Services. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us. Thanks so much for having me. I really do. Really, I'm grateful. Thank you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I'd hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condice Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condice? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this same time as we explore new perspectives. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.